Welcome to Academic Advising for a Wise Education. This is the podcast that teaches things about higher education to help improve your learning and studying, make smarter choices of a major and coursework, understand how colleges and universities work, find internships and research assignments that complement your classroom learning, be financially sensible, become academically mature, prepare for graduate school, and plan for your future career. I'm Advisor Jay. Today's topic is Virtual Advising from Advisor J. If you read the description for this podcast and have listened to any of the other episodes, you know that I offer a virtual advising service via Zoom. Its purpose is to give academic advice that is specific to students and or their parents. What you hear in these episodes and read in my writings is for general consumption. It's not personalized for you in your situation, and yet that is what every student at one or more times can benefit from. As I have said before, it's a big mistake if you attend college or university thinking that all you need to do is show up and do as you're told. For your education to really be meaningful and benefit you, you must take ownership of it and be aiming for accomplishments that will help you get to the career that you want. Decades in academia have shown me that students mostly do not know how to be as successful as they could be in college or university because they were never properly taught what to do or they did not follow through on what they learned. They may have been given tours of campuses as early as when they were in elementary school, and they probably took courses in high school that were prerequisites to coursework in college or university. But were they ever taught to properly learn and study? If so, it should not have been a one-time lesson. Healthy techniques for effective learning, studying, retention, reasoning, and problem-solving should be part of the educational curriculum from kindergarten through high school, I would argue. These things are not necessarily intuitive, in part because people's assumptions about how the brain works are often wrong. The way that people tend to naturally study is as if the human memory system were like a filing cabinet or computer memory bank, where whatever content enters it stays there in its original form and is easily retrievable in that unaltered form at any time in the future. Students who operate with that assumption and who keep achieving poor results on graded work may assume that they have a learning disability, or they are not good at a particular subject, or they are generally bad at taking tests, when the truth could be that they need to learn how to learn, and that is one of the things that I can teach you. The minimum two to four years that is traditionally spent earning an undergraduate degree is supposed to be a significant step toward establishing a career of your liking, but this will not happen on its own. You would be wise to carefully plan and make the most of this unique time in your life. It's not that there is no place on campus where you can get advice. It's that there is unlikely to be anyone at your campus like me who was an undergraduate student, worked in a research laboratory, worked in industry, was a graduate student, was a teaching assistant, became a faculty member and taught for many years, and spent years advising students from a variety of majors. This does not mean that I know everything. Nobody does. But it means that I bring a qualified perspective to my interactions with students that very few other people would have, and it's a valuable perspective based on an academic and professional background that few people possess who you would have access to. When meeting with someone for an advising session, among the first things I do is listen. The person who most knows whatever you are going through is you, and I don't presume to know anything about you until I hear you tell me about you. Your life is comprised of your experiences and your approach to them. For me to best help you, I need to understand who you are as an individual, what you are going through, how you feel about it, what you want to accomplish, and what you are willing to do to achieve it. Creating the best advice for you in your situation requires that I hear directly from you. 
When I ask questions, it is important that you be fully open and honest and share whatever information you have that could help me to appreciate your situation. If something is not necessary for me to know, don't worry, I'll tell you. Over the years, a common mistake I often notice that students make is to somehow assume that a faculty member or an advisor already knows what is going on in their lives. A commitment I make to anyone who seeks my advice is that I want my clients to succeed in being their best. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes we have strengths that we don't know about because they have not been tapped into. Sometimes we have weaknesses that could be overcome or at least improved on if only we had the right advice on what to do about them. For example, many times students have told me that they were bad at taking tests. Then they had advising sessions with me where I asked questions, listened, looked at their work, and then gave them advice on how to do better. Every single person who listened to what I said and did what I suggested had substantial improvement. For this to happen in your life may require a significant change in the way you manage your classwork, homework, projects, laboratory assignments, group work, studying for tests, and things you do and do not do while taking tests. On this, I hope you will have an open mind about receiving my advice. Every professional who counsels other people encounters some who say they want to improve but are quick to reject suggestions on making changes. Ask any financial advisor, healthcare counselor, attorney, or therapist, and they will tell you that there have been countless times when they tried to help but the client was not in the right frame of mind for receiving constructive feedback. That's unfortunate. What the client really wanted in those cases was to hear the advisor say that the cause of the problem, whatever it may have been, was something external and there was absolutely nothing that she or he could be doing except what was already being done. In psychology, two terms come to mind related to this. Confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. Confirmation bias arises when people only notice and look for information that supports what they already believe, and they reject information that contradicts what they believe. Back to my example of a student who habitually gets bad test scores. If the person is absolutely convinced that the cause of bad test performance is because she or he is incapable of doing any better, then hearing a professional suggest how to improve her or his learning and studying may be rejected because that advice is opposed to the student's existing belief. Do you see the confirmation bias at play here? The other term from psychology I mentioned was cognitive dissonance. It occurs when a person is faced with an inconsistency that causes her or him to rationalize rather than accept that maybe the belief is simply wrong. Suppose you believe the earth is flat, like a disk, and someone tells you that the earth is actually spherical, and that person presents you with videos of the earth that were each recorded continuously by a satellite that revolved around the earth. Rather than accept that you might be incorrect in your belief that the earth is flat, cognitive dissonance may lead you to immediately conclude that the earth was flat before and after those videos were recorded, and no amount of evidence, regardless of the source, will convince you that you were wrong. In the example of a student who is determined to continue believing that she or he will never do better at taking tests, cognitive dissonance may cause the student to automatically reject good advice on better learning and more effective study techniques and decide that the problem must be because the tests were unfair, even if the advisor has explained otherwise. I want you to know that if I did feel there was reason to possibly think that a client had a cognitive or physical disability that contributed to poor test taking, I would give the person advice on how to get that assessed by healthcare professionals. To wrap up this point about the need for an open mind when receiving advice from a caring professional, please know that my advice is just that, advice. 
Whatever I suggest you do is with the understanding that ultimately it is you, not me, who makes the decision on what to do. This is your life, not mine. My advice is not limited to people with problems in their coursework. Some students are doing just fine with courses, but they want my opinions on their career plans and or the steps they are taking to get to that career. Career planning should be an integral part of your schooling. Regardless of whether anyone else is telling you that, it's important to realize that your year of graduation is not the time to start deciding how to transition from school to the working world in the career that you want. The same is true if you are thinking of going to graduate school. Preparation for that should begin long before your senior year, and I have excellent advice to help you with that. Getting into a reputable graduate program is a long process with a number of steps along the way where it is easy to make a bad decision that could prove detrimental. Selecting reputable graduate programs to apply to, the actual application process itself, the coursework that you should have been taking long before applying, final preparation after you get accepted, and then getting started in the graduate program are all parts of a process that you cannot count on people at your undergraduate school to teach you. Moreover, before you do any of that, you need to determine whether graduate study is even right for you. Graduate school is not part two of undergraduate school. Other issues that people have consulted me on include deciding on a major and determining if the major you are in is where you should be, choosing elective courses to take, deciding on a minor, and internships. All of this is important. Too many times I have seen students drifting along in their schooling with an assumption that they are in the right place with major, minor, coursework, and so on. But drifting is never the right position to be in when it comes to your education. If you were drifting in a boat, it would mean that you were going wherever the wind and current take you rather than you being at the helm and rooting the boat toward a destination. Students have also sought my help with interpersonal problems and administrative issues. The time may come when you are unsure how to handle a difficult situation with a professor or teaching assistant or even another student. I can guide you in these matters as well. As with anything else, I would want to hear you describe the situation in detail so that I get a good picture in mind of what has happened, and that includes knowing what actions you took. Here is where absolute honesty and complete openness are required. I can only advise you based on what I know, and I can't know something that you don't tell me. Professors and teaching assistants are humans like all of us, so they do make mistakes, and yet how you approach a problem is key to its outcome. Even if you are right about something, it's wise to think carefully about how you respond to a situation. Or let's say it's a situation in which you were wrong. Maybe you realize you said something in an email message to a professor or TA that was impolite or otherwise was not in your best interest to say. I can advise you on what to do to help repair the situation. Administrative problems at a college or university can be a nightmare to fix. Although there are good employees in most workplaces, there may also be people who are any one or more of ignorant, incompetent, or apathetic. This makes me remember a case some years ago when a student in the military reserves had been called to active duty because of a war. Since this happened in the middle of a school term, he had to abruptly leave his classes, and he was thus awarded F grades for each course. A few years later, long after he had returned from the war and was back in school, he met me and shared this story. I was appalled to hear that he had an entire term of F grades on his record because he had been unable to complete a semester due to being called to military duty. He said he had tried to talk to various employees at campus about the situation, but had only been referred to one person after another without ever reaching a resolution. On the spot, when he was telling me his story, I told him who to talk to and what to say. 
He emailed me sometime after that to say that my advice was spot on and the problem had been repaired. All those F grades on his transcript for that term had been changed to W's. A W does not impact your grade point average. If a potential future employer or graduate school admissions committee sees an entire term of W's, they are likely to be understanding if you have a good reason, and being called to active military duty qualifies as a good reason. An entire term of F grades would terribly impact a person's grade point average and be harder to explain in a convincing manner. I knew who this student should talk to because I understand the general bureaucracy of educational institutions. There are many other issues related to higher education that I can help with, and that help applies to parents as well as students. If a parent wants my help, I am happy to give it. If you are a parent listening to this, I recommend against assuming that the educational system at any particular college or university will take care of your daughter or son, and everything that she or he needs to know will be shared by administrators and other employees. Unfortunately, that is just not how things normally are in higher education, particularly at public institutions. Another of my commitments is to be honest and not BS you. It's just not in my nature to do otherwise. If I cannot be of help, I will tell you so. If my help would be of limited value for some reason, I will tell you that. Once you and I have had one or more virtual advising sessions using Zoom, and I have given you suggestions on what to do, I ask that if you take my advice, please follow through on it diligently. This is the same thing that an advisor in any field of life would tell you. Rarely in life is a half-hearted approach ever a good idea, and certainly not when it comes to higher education. When I give you advice, I will gladly tell you why I am giving it and what I think you can expect for an outcome. Be realistic, though. Some advice will not give you magical results overnight. Let's say you have unproductive study techniques that you have been using for years. I can tell you what to do to improve, but your brain needs time to reorder the nerve cells that control your cognition, and so you have to be prepared to habitually work at it. In time, however, as I pointed out before, everyone who has followed through on my advice for improving their learning and studying has done significantly better. These are people who never realized the way they took notes, the way they studied, and the way they approached homework tests and other graded assignments was not effective. After doing as I advised and being consistent at it, the improvements spoke for themselves. I remember a number of students in a class I once taught who were failing badly, but that turned around when some of them entirely changed their habits per my advice. By a month later, they were showing improvement commensurate with the work they were putting into improving. I was proud of each of them for how positively different they were by the end of the term. Other students in that class did not seek my help and, not surprisingly, did not improve. In closing, I want to tell you how to get my online advising via Zoom. It starts with you sending me an email message. You will hear my email address near the end of this episode, or you can check for it in the written description at the streaming service where you are listening to me. In your message, please include your name and tell me enough about you and your situation so that I have a good idea of what is happening. Next, give me an idea of what help you want from me. If you are unsure how to articulate that, just tell me what outcome you are looking for. For example, let's say the problem is that you have been accused of an academic integrity violation. Tell me truthfully and fully what occurred, what exactly you are accused of, what process is in motion or what action has been taken, and what you would like to see as the result. Also, include in your message at least three sets of dates and times when you will be available for a Zoom call. 
I am a very busy person, and so it is important that you keep any appointment that we make, and that means being punctual. My hope is that your email message to me will have enough information in it so that I can determine, one, what help I can offer, two, how much time I think it will take to work with you, and three, the fee I would charge. To any new client who asks for it, I give a one-time free 15-minute consultation. This is a good way for you to decide if you like my style and whether you want to go further in getting my help. Even better, because you have made it through to this point in this episode, I will make you a special offer. If you are a new client, I will give you a one-time free consultation that will be 30 minutes instead of the free 15-minute session that I usually give new clients. To get this 30-minute offer, tell me in your email message that you listen to this episode and include the name of the episode. Here's more. If you are willing to use your social media contacts on your campus to help spread the word about my advising service, and you show me proof that you have done that, I am willing to give you an additional special offer. Email me to introduce yourself and ask for details on this. Also, if you happen to want advising from me on an ongoing basis, say every month, every two weeks, every quarter, every semester, whatever the case might be, we can also arrange for that. Just let me know that in your message. I hope this episode has been helpful to you in understanding the virtual advising you can get from me, Advisor J. One final thing. I am here not just to dispense information to you, but to help you make wise decisions. Remember, though, that your decisions are yours to make. This is always true when seeking help from an advisor. That's all for this episode. I look forward to sharing more information and advice with you in the future. You've been listening to Academic Advising for a Wise Education, a podcast by Advisor Jay. We hope the information and advice presented was enlightening. These episodes offer general advice. Your situation may call for additional action or an altogether different approach. For personalized guidance specific to you, Advisor Jay offers video advice via Zoom for a fee. Contact Jay at treasureoflifeatoutlook.com. That's treasure of life at outlook.com. When emailing, please include your name, a detailed description of your situation, and clearly state what help you need. Advisor Jay is here to assist you, but ultimately your education is your responsibility, and so all decisions are your own to make. That email address can also be used to send Advisor Jay any comment about the podcast. Knowledge alone is rarely enough. In life, it pays to be wise. 